it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is from the archive. Andrew and I hope you enjoyed your holiday weekend and everyone is safe. Please enjoy this episode redo concerning stock picking and some of the pitfalls to avoid. Don't worry, we'll be back next week with a new episode. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon silence crippling confusion and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers your path to financial freedom starts now all right folks welcome to investing for beginners podcast this is episode 150 tonight andrew and i are going to talk about stock picking for dummies So we have some stories we'd like to pass along to you guys, and we have some ideas that might help you along the way with picking out some stocks. So, Andrew, uh, would you like to talk first, or would you like me to talk first? I think your story is the better one. So maybe it's such a perfect illustration of how when you're picking stocks, it's really easy to get caught up in the numbers or get caught up in a narrative or get caught up in your biases toward the stock. And sometimes, depending on what price you're paying with for the stock, it's creating these expectations that you don't realize might be unreasonable. So tell your story first. Okay. All right. Will do. So uh, a lot of you know that I have been watching uh, the videos that uh, Professor Oswald Damodoran does on YouTube and I've been studying valuation with his MBA classes as well as his undergrad classes. And it's very interesting and very enlightening. And he was telling a story on his, uh, one of his lectures the other day that I thought was really kind of fascinating. And I shared it with Andrew a while ago and uh, we thought this would be a perfect illustration of what we're going to talk about tonight. So what uh, the professor related to all of us was that he had a student that Part of their project is to do a a valuation of a company at the end of the semester. And so one of his students presented his findings at the end of the semester, and 
everything was really good except for one small detail. So he called the student in and had him come in and talk to him about his, his work and everything. And uh, the professor went over everything and said there was a lot of great stuff in there. And he asked him why he chose the company. And the company he chose was Tesla. And so without talking about any of our biases about the, the stock, uh, the, the young man said, told the professor that he really liked Tesla and thought it was a great company, really liked Elon, Elon Musk and had a lot of respect for him and, and those kinds of things. But the, the, and the professor was like, you know, okay, great. And, uh, he talked about his numbers and, and, and all the things. And he asked him if he ever really checked himself for the numbers that he was relaying in his spreadsheets. And the student said, uh, no, why? And he said, well, he said, the valuation you came up with is probably not a horrible one. He said, a lot of the numbers are great. The growth rates are great. The discount rates are great. He said, there's one small problem. He said, the growth rate that you've uh, put on this company to grow for the rest of eternity is a little bit out of line. And he said, and the student said, why? I think it's a great company. I think it's going to grow from far into the future. And he said, well, he said, <laughs> the professor said, well, uh, the growth at the growth rate you assigned it at in 10 years, it's going to be worth about as much as the GDP of the United States. And the student just kind of blinked. And then he said, in 20 years, it's going to be worth the GDP of probably North America. And the student just kind of blinked. And he said, in the third year, or th- after 30 years, the growth rate is going to make it larger than the GDP of the entire world. So if you want to buy toothpaste, it's going to come from Tesla. If you want car insurance, it's going to come from Tesla. If you need to go to the doctor, you're going to have to call Tesla and get a appointment to go see a doctor. He said, Tesla will govern everything. And he said, he looked at the student, he said, so the growth rate that you assigned to the company is unrealistic. And I said, I think you meet, want, want to go back and, and check your numbers. And the student was, uh, of course, so, you know, appropriately chagrined and went back and adjusted his numbers. But uh, I thought that that was kind of a, a perfect symbolism of when you're in love with a company and you try to rationalize the great things that you expect from the company because you've fallen in love with the company. So you're kind of encompassing all your biases in that one particular example and one particular company. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And Andrew and I thought that that would be a perfect way for us to start tonight. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's great because depending on where stocks are priced, that generally tells you how much Wall Street expects a certain company to grow. So Peter Lynch, <clears throat> we mentioned him last week. He's uh, you know, one of the best fund managers Fidelity's ever had and one of the best fund managers we've ever seen just in general. And um, he's written a couple great books that are great reads, really good for beginners. And one of the concepts that he talks about frequently is the PEG ratio. So you know the price earnings ratio is a ratio that can relate how much a company is earning versus how much it's priced. So if the price earnings ratio is really, really high, that means the stock is very expensive compared to how much it's earning and vice versa. So he relates this PE ratio to the growth rate. And so basically, he tries to look for a company that has a PEG uh, greater than one. And so the thought process is if the company is growing 
more than its price to earnings ratio, then that's a good thing. And if it's growing less than its price to earnings ratio, then it's not very likely that you're going to get good returns off of it. So just to give an example here, I pulled up a spreadsheet. So let's say we have a company that's growing earnings at 15%. And let's say it's also priced at a price to earnings of 15. So that would be a price, a PEG of around, or basically in this case, it would be one. So for basically what that's pricing in. So if you're to take earnings and grow them for 15 year, uh, I'm sorry, for 15% year after year after year, it would take nine years for the, all of those earnings to catch up to the price. So as an example, let's say the stock market cap was $1,500. And if the earnings were at 100, that would be a price to earnings of 15. So if those earnings grow 15%, you know, the next year they're at 115, then they go to 132. It compounds from there. By the time you get to the ninth year, earnings will be at about 305, which is three times more than where they started nine years ago. So that's that's a pretty good deal. And and it's at that price where you have a break even. So if you were to add up all the earnings up until that ninth year, then you'd get around fifteen hundred dollars, which is the price you paid. Originally. Now, of course, as investors, we don't have, you know, you don't get all the earnings paid to you. Um, the company uses earnings to grow the business and, and make those profits grow for um, shareholders. And they do things like share buybacks and things like that. But it kind of illustrates okay, so as a typical example, if a stock has a PE, and their growth rate's about the same, it still takes nine years until that investment, that that price you paid for it, pays off in earnings over the life of that investment. To me, that sounds like a long time. Nine years sounds pretty long. Now, if you imagine the discrepancy when the price of earnings is at 30 or 50 or 100, you know, I could bore you with the numbers. I'm going to choose not to this time. It's it's way, way worse. And so, you know, when you're talking about a basic valuation, something like Tesla or some other company where the price earnings ratio is so high, they need to really have that, that much growth for these investments to pan out. And, and, you know, you, you do see price earnings ratios stay very high for very long periods of time, but eventually, if that growth isn't keeping up with with the high valuations, you know you hear all the success stories. You don't hear the failure stories, and so these growth type of investments work really great until they don't. And so you'll see them at the end of really long bull markets, like the dot com bubble, where all these huge PEs were the ones who got crushed the most, and and it's happened time and time again. So. My kind of example of trying to take some common sense and use that in a stock picking approach. It's not really as as great of an example, I would say, but it's something recently that I've taken into consideration. So, you know, I read in um in a book recently where they talked about basically 
how much a company has grown up to now doesn't really have a correlation with how much it's going to grow in the future. So, you know, it's, it's nice. And I think it makes sense in general to try to find companies that have grown in the past and you hope that growth continues, but it's never a guarantee. And if you ask anybody who's been in the market longer than let's say four or five years, they'll tell you that, yeah, um, as many companies that continue their high growth rates, a lot of them don't. And so, you know, I think it really helps to when you're looking at a stock and you're looking at its history, you can look and see what it's done so far, but it also makes sense to look at what's the future possibly hold. So I don't want to single out this company because I think it it's a great company and I it's a smaller company. I think it could maybe be a great investment, but you know, I'm pretty picky and so it's not something that I'm leaning towards anymore. But basically what they manufacture is they manufacture snow equipment. And so they're doing a very good job of sticking to their niche. Obviously, you can't sell snow equipment in Hawaii. That's not going to really work out too well. So they have their area of the Northeast in the United States um, where they basically sell an overwhelming majority of their of their products, you know, that snow belt up there. And I think they do a little bit in Canada too, but you know, that's, that's where they get the principal majority of their revenues. And so I really liked a lot of things about this company over the past 10 years, it's grown revenue close to double digits, pretty, you know, if you average it out year after year after year, it's getting close to 10 digit growth, uh, double digit growth for revenue earnings it's done even better it's it's over double digit growth for for earnings per share and you know they claim to be the number one in their market which is all good things all things you like to hear there's been a growing dividend for many years and you know to top it all off the the price earnings is decent the price of books decent price of sales decent things look good and they have a lot of free cash flow budgeting was always a challenge for me I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. 
After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. However, if you think about what the future of the Northeast holds, and then you look at some other interesting data. So something that I wanted to look at uh, was population trends, you know, something as simple as, you know, if a state is growing, then I think that's a good place for an investment. And if it's not, then it's probably not. So I went and, you know, Wikipedia has a great little chart where they ranked the states and they showed the percentage of growth and everything. And so they took from 2010 to 2019. And, you know, some of the biggest states with growth were Texas, Florida, California is not as hot as it probably was in the 90s, but it's still got decent growth. And as I looked at all of the the different population growth trends, you know, it seemed everybody was moving west or extremely south with Texas and Florida. And the bottom 10 when it came to population trends were all almost almost all in the northeast of the United States. So looking at a company where snow equipment doesn't have much of a growth potential kind of as it is because you're not going to increase more demand unless you can somehow make it snow more. Um, it, it's a it's a pretty consistent kind of thing. You, you would probably look at it as a more defensive type of investment. But when you're looking at something five years, 10 years out, you really want to try to put everything and kind of ride all, all these waves congruently if you can, find as many good trends and, and ride on top of those. And so, you know, I look at a situation like that and the population demographics don't look great. And so it's hard to imagine. I mean, yes, there will be, you know, you would hope to see GDP growth, population growth. Um, But if, if it's lagging some of the other parts of the country in a country where population growth is already slowing, that it's just in my mind, 
you know, if if you have an industry that's just not going to grow, sure you can grow your earnings and your revenues by taking market share, but eventually once you've taken all the market share, if there's no more growth in that market, then your options for growing the company as a whole are limited. So, you know, when it comes to this particular investment, I could be completely wrong. They could have plenty of market share to still take. And, you know, I hope they do do very, very well. But it's just one of those examples where I think you can look at a company. I got super excited for this one. But I think if you look at a company and you really try to put it where your goals are. So for me, I, I want something 5, 10, 15 years I feel good about holding. And, you know, if it's, if it's not, if it's, if it doesn't sound as great of an investment, because there's huge factors that are kind of out of their control, then maybe you're best served looking elsewhere. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. That's a great example. I love that idea of looking at beyond just the numbers and what the company is doing, but thinking about the population trends in the area and thinking about, in essence, their their niche and how they operate within that niche. That's uh, that was kind of brilliant. I'm I'm impressed. That was that was a, that's a that's a great example. I got one brilliant idea per month. <laughs> that's more than most of us. So <laughs> that's good. Uh, so I, I guess something that I guess I would like to share as far as when you're thinking about picking stocks and, and some of the examples that Andrew was, was sharing with us were great ones. I think along the same lines of what I was talking about, when you're thinking about laying out any sort of numbers and spreadsheet and trying to anticipate where you think the company is going. Some great anchoring tips, if you will, is looking at how other companies have done in your industry. So, for example, if you're looking at somebody like, I don't know, Verizon, and you want to see their revenue grow by 10% over the next 10 years, first, you have to think about, have they done it in the past? And if they have, Okay, then it's possible that they could do this again. But then you have to also have to extrapolate and think in their industry, how many more people can they get to get a new phone or to sign up with service for them? Is their service that much better than AT&T and T-Mobile and anybody else that's out there? And if it is, then there's a possibility that they can do some of those things. Or they can do things like Andrew was referring to and take market share away from somebody like AT&T. Now, that's a very competitive market, and it's a very competitive field that they're in. So you have to ask yourself, are those things logical? And I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer and Mr. Negative, but when we're thinking about putting our money out there as an investment, we have to think sometimes beyond just the numbers of the company and seeing that, hey, the PE ratio is great and the price to book is great and the revenue is great and they got all this free cash flow and all these things are fantastic and the price is going up or maybe it's kind of flat and you think it should go up. Those are all things to obviously take into consideration. But you also have to think about what are the business prospects for this company beyond 
when I lay my money into the market tomorrow, for example? Where do I think it's going to be in 10 years? And where do I think it's going to be in 20 years? And is, is that company, do I, do I envision that that company is still going to be here at that time? And those are all things that you have to take into consideration. And thinking about the market cap of the company, it's this big now. Can it logically grow to 10, 10 to 15, 20% more? Kind of like with the example I was explaining before, where at a certain point it grows so much that it can't grow any faster. And the law of economics basically says that at some point the company can't grow faster or bigger than the economy that it operates in, because then by logic it has to become the economy. Now, some could argue that Amazon will become the economy of the United States at some point, and you know who knows, but. at some point, logically, something like that has to stop. And I'm not trying, again, I'm not trying to be negative, but you just, you have to think about some of those things and try to make sure that you put all those reasons in comparison to what is, what you see going on and, and how logical you think that is. So doing some of the things that, like Andrew was doing, going beyond just looking at the numbers of the company, looking at industry averages, looking at other companies in the industry. Uh, one of the things that I love about Warren Buffett is because he is so well-read, he's become basically an, a walking encyclopedia. And he knows everything that he needs to know about this company, that company, this company, that company, so that when he's presented with a opportunity to buy something, he instantly knows because of his experience and because of his knowledge, how that company stacks up against its competitors. And let's not kid ourselves. When we're buying a company, when we're buying a stock, we're buying a company. And when we're buying that company, it's competing against other companies for money. Uh, Whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a cell phone, whether it's pen out. It doesn't matter what it is. They're all competing against somebody else. They're very rare cases. Is there going to be somebody that is the complete market leader and has zero competition? It just really doesn't happen. And generally, the better something does, the more competition is attracted to that because people want to try to take a piece of that pie. And so when we're, when we're sitting down and picking through stocks and as part of your checklist, one of the things that you should put on there, I encourage you to do this, is to think like Warren Buffett does and and research the other companies and understand how those other companies balance out with the competitor. So, for example, I'm, I'm trying to learn more about the telecom business. And so I'm reading annual reports for Verizon, for AT&T, and for T-Mobile, and then other assorted businesses that are associated with those so that I can try to learn as much about the industry as I possibly can so that if I ever decide to make an investment in those industries, I have some sort of basis of knowledge and I'm not just picking AT&T because it's the shiny thing. Uh, I'm trying to make, a, I guess, an informed decision. And part of making that informed decision is having the knowledge, but also trying to ask those questions. Is this logical? Is this reasonable? Do I? Is this something that I think they can achieve? Or is it a in an industry that's older and it's been around for a while? And to expect Walmart to grow at 27% like Amazon has been is probably unrealistic. So those are all questions that you need to ask yourself when you're thinking about these things. Yeah, I love the idea of reading the annual reports of competitors. I've noticed that some companies will be more frank about, hey, 
you know, here's a list of all of our competitors and others will just be like, yeah, you know, we're in a competitive industry. And so sometimes it is kind of like putting pieces together in a puzzle. If you're really trying to get a complete industry picture, sometimes earnings reports, like the, the presentations that can come with earnings calls where they'll have the slides um, and kind of lay out the industry that can give you some clarity a little bit, depending depending on the company. So, you know, it makes it tough because the financial data is really nice. We have, at least in the States, we have the SEC, which mandates everybody's 10Ks need to all report the same financials. There's there's different parts of that that companies can interpret and maybe focus more on and, and disclose some of this, disclose some of that. But there's a standard where everybody has to report at least these numbers, earnings, revenues, assets, liabilities. When it comes to gathering kind of big picture data, common sense data, industry data, there's not a uniform standard for that. And so sometimes you do have to kind of do a little bit of Sherlock homing and, and really just find information as you can. And I would say, you know, in the scale of like importance, I don't know. Maybe I sh- I shouldn't make a judgment like that, but it, you know, it is. I think it is important to to bring some common sense to the numbers. Warren Buffett talks about how just to have a circle of competence and to know it very well. It's it's great to hear him talk about his Coca Cola investment because he just he makes it sound so simple, and I guess in a way it kind of is. You know, he says it's the most popular drink in the world. For the longest time, people associated a cheeseburger and a Coke. And those were like just like a one-two combo. It was like a cheeseburger, a Coke, and good times. And then, you know, I, I was watching um, this documentary on Netflix. It's called History 101. And they talked about the very first episode was talking about fast food in, in the United States. And they talked about how McDonald's was basically. United States major export through the 80s and 90s and you know probably the decade after that too what soda is pretty much at every McDonald's that you could find it was Coca-Cola so it was interesting to for me to see how first off I guess the other countries got really excited for McDonald's like they they looked at it the same way I would look at all you can eat Brazilian steakhouse kind of meal but it, it was a major export and it was a huge a huge win for for you know not only McDonald's but Coca-Cola and some of the other restaurants that have followed followed suit from that. And when Buffett talks about that, you know, he talks about Coke, he talks about how it brings that emotional attachment. And he also talked about very simply, he he said, you know, I don't know what the number was, but he said something like twenty billion. Let's 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 call it twenty billion cokes are sold throughout the world, and so it, I don't know if he said like per day, per week, whatever it was. And then so he said, even if you raise the price of a coke by a penny, that's still you know however many fifty million, fifty billion, whatever the number comes out to. So you know he. He knew those numbers very easily. They weren't super hard numbers to comprehend. He's just stating the facts. Coca-Cola is is one of, you know, was one of America's most favorite drinks. 
and they sold a lot of it. And so they had a lot of pricing power because they were a leader. And then they had a lot of kind of wiggle room to work with. They had lower costs through having bottlers do all the manufacturing. And and they just had a lot of competitive advantages. And you could see very easily how they could increase profits just through their sheer size and from the loyalty of the brand. So, you know, obviously, if investing was 100% that easy, we would all be billionaires because we could just kind of look around us and see the things that we like and invest in those. It's not that simple because I guess a lot of Wall Street seems to price things that way, anyways. If you look at some of the most expensive stocks right now, you know, the Fang stocks, those are all products and services that most everybody uses pretty much every day. But that's not to say that stocks like that won't become cheap one day. And so it's it's really about keeping your eye out, knowing where you want, you know, what price is is a good price for you. So that's where the financials come in and and you know, knowing how much you want to pay for earnings, knowing how much you want to pay for sales, having an idea of what that range looks like. And then once a company is there, then you know, what's the what's the long-term narrative here? What 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 are the chances that they can continue to grow if they've grown already? And you know, does that sound like a common sense idea? And I think combining those two, uh, I think amazingly isn't done enough. I think really kind of talked before how people kind of fall into two camps, but there can just be a lot of opportunity with that. And you know, hopefully our discussion has inspired at least one, maybe one kind of extra step for somebody who's out there doing some research. We have Google these days, so there's really no excuse for getting data and information. And so it's really up to us if if we want to take on that kind of journey and, and try to be a little bit creative, be a little bit intuitive, and, and try to find the right balance. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. Thank you guys for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about stock picking for dummies. And I think you guys will find a few nuggets in there that can help you guys along your way. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.